You are listening to Let's Talk, a weekly training resource for South Carolina Baptist worship, production, music, media, creative, and communications leaders. And now, here's your host, Matt Freeman. Hey everyone, this is Matt Freeman. I'm the Associate Director of Worship and Music with the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And this is Let's Talk, where worship leaders and worship teams tech people and production people from all around the state come together once a week to have a discussion on related topics and uh, to grow together as a community and as a network. I'm excited to have David Manor with us today. Uh, I'm going to let David tell you his titles because I I can't, I'll mess those up assuredly, Uh, but want him to share with us. Uh, David's got a book coming out later this year that I'm so excited about and just had asked David to come on and share some wisdom with us. And uh, so David, yeah, thanks for being with us. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Hopefully you're hearing me all right. Good, good. Well, it's good to be here. My name is David Manor. I'm uh, the Associate Executive Director for Kansas, Nebraska, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. I've been on the convention staff for 20 years. Uh, Before that, I was a worship pastor. Um, I served in local churches like many of you do uh, for about two decades before I came on convention staff and actually started uh, 20 years ago on convention staff as Director of Worship and Administration. And then uh, eight years ago, transferred uh, that position transferred to associate executive director. But I still do have worship leadership responsibilities too. So, um, as many of you do, we wear a lot of hats, and uh, and so I still love worship. So I like to write about worship too, and and started blogging about ten years ago. Um, after doing doctoral work, it kind of spurred me to write some, and and consequently, um, I have I have written a book that's going to come out in September. Uh, September 15th. Abingdon Press has published that. And the title is Better Sundays Begin on Monday. And so then the subtitle, which is really kind of the meat of it, is is 52 exercises for evaluating weekly worship. Uh, So it's it's available now for pre-order. This is the only commercial you're going to hear on that. And uh, you can go to any of the sites and and find it. It's available for pre-order, but it'll, it'll officially come out in September. So I'd encourage you to get that, uh, and I'll explain kind of how that, how that works. Uh, so it'll help you understand maybe if it'd be a, a good fit for you or your team or you and your staff. So uh, it, it, I kind of came to this understanding of worship evaluation um, as I was doing some study in this area. And so I, I realized that worship evaluation uh, is already happening in our churches, in the parking lots and hallways and restaurants after the service. They're already evaluating what's going on and what you're doing in the worship service. And so my thought was, why wouldn't we as, as leaders want to preempt those evaluations with an intentional process that we could actually frame? Rather than it being something we were responding to, it's something that, that we actually initiate. So some worship teams, uh, their view of, of worship evaluation is after the service, they kind of touch bases. And if nothing fell apart, they're good till the next Sunday. And, and then they go on from then. And, we, and I know it's difficult because you're busy. And some teams may even meet regularly and kind of evaluate some of those things that occurred in the service. And this after-service evaluation is like a, a post-mortem of what already occurred. And so if you know anything about medical science and all that, the, that post-mortem is after something dies or, or after something is over. And so really what the evaluation was uh, for a post-mortem evaluation, which is good, and we should do that, the, the attitude is we'll, we'll, we'll do it better next time. And so my challenge is not only to think of it uh, as a post-mortem, but also a, 
a pre-mortem. So what if in addition to having those, those post-mortem evaluations, we also had those pre-mortem evaluations of our worship services? And that, that pre-mortem uh, evaluation is, is the perspective hindsight. And so based on information that we know about our group, is you think ahead about what is coming up and you evaluate before it actually occurs to maybe head off some of those things that inevitably happen sometimes. And so in essence, you're saying not only let's, let's get it right next time, but you're also saying let's get it right this time or the first time. And so it's, maybe it's possible for our, our worship leading teams, if we would use that, that collective pre and post evaluation process, um, and, and we would uh, evaluate before it occurs that we could actually head off some of those things as they're being birthed instead of after they're already occurred. And here's, here's a, a note on that too. If, if, um, if your worship planning is last minute service planning, then pre-mortems are most impossible. And, and actually it, it contributes to pain, painful post-mortems too. So this requires some advanced preparation. So many of you were maybe involved in sports in, in high school or something like that, as many of us were. And if you remember, uh, a lot of times after a game, whether it be on a Friday night or a weeknight or whatever sport you're playing, we would often the next morning meet for, um, to see the film. And, and a lot of sports teams use that, that uh, process of breaking down game film. Uh, and it's a discipline that a lot of sports teams use. And so the next morning they come in in a more relaxed setting and they can, they can actually view those things that occurred and, and then they respond, uh, they respond to those things because they're able to actually evaluate those things. And not only do they evaluate the mistakes that were made, but they also are able to uh, celebrate the successes. And so they champion those things that occur. And it's in a more relaxed setting and you can highlight those things because the reality is it's hard to evaluate um, in the middle of a game. And so they can look at those things later and collaboratively come to some kind of evaluation. Can you imagine a sports team coming uh, after a game like that and just saying, hey, you know, guys did all right. We, we won this week. Uh, so less, less week, uh, next week, let's just play a little bit better. And then uh, expecting it to happen the next week. And the fundamental re reason these teams meet is to make those adjustments that are not always evident in the middle of the game. So why aren't, I would ask the question, why aren't we as worship leaders and pastors and worship leading teams, why aren't we regularly incorporating similar evaluative processes about in which, in which something is as important as worship leadership is? And I think one of the primary reasons is that uh, implementing an individual or collaborative process uh, of analyzing our worship services and planning for upcoming upcoming worship service requires a deep level of humility and vulnerability and trust, and it also uh, accountability. And it requires us to be selfless leaders because all of us have our preferences. We, we encourage our congregations not to have those preferences, but we as leader, all, leaders also have those. And we like what we like and we like what we like to lead. And so sometimes we have to sacrifice our own ideas and preferences and interests for the greater worshiping good of our congregation. And so I would encourage you, if you see value in developing an evaluative team, make sure that team crosses cultural lines, crosses generational lines. It should include, if possible, your lead pastor, worship leading people, tech people, 
interior designers, builders, uh, professional photographers, all those people that are creatives that could come on there that have varying views and understanding about music and worship. In fact, I would encourage you to include some non-musicians on there so they can evaluate it from a non-musician perspective. My own church here in Topeka has a team like that. And that, that team, they, for lack of a better term, they just call it the creative team. And every Monday, that team meets. And I'm a part of that team when I'm in town as, as convention staff. I travel a lot, as Matt does. But when I'm in town and I'm able to meet with them, we meet every Monday, every Monday and we evaluate what happened in the service the day before. And it's not just logistical evaluation of, hey, the band did well. But it's also theological uh, evaluation. It, it's evaluating, were we uh, uh, responding to the gospel as we led worship yesterday? And here's, here's the key, and I think and it's not always possible, I know in all your churches, but that, that team includes the lead pastor. And we don't just evaluate the music and worship, we also evaluate the sermon. We evaluate the length of the sermon, sermon illustrations. And, and he has enough humility as our pastor um, to be a part of that conversation and to lay himself out like everybody else does. But the value of it is, is this team has enough trust and love for each other that the only purpose and the only reason we're evaluating is because we, we love our church and we love each other and we come out friends on the other side of that. And sometimes those meetings are brutal. I mean, sometimes we come out of there and, and, and if you didn't love each other, you'd think you, you, know, you, were, you were mad at each other. But, but the purpose is, again, no ulterior motive, but to make our worship better. Now, I know that's not always possible uh, if, you, if your senior pastor is not a part of that conversation. But my challenge with you, if you are a worship leader, is whether your senior pastor or not is involved in that process, you still have a responsibility to evaluate those things that you're responsible for. You, you can't evaluate what he's responsible for if he's not willing to be a part of that conversation, but you can evaluate what you're responsible for. So I would say this, that if you have a balanced approach to worship evaluation, it, it can be summative in that, that a congregation can learn from its previous worship failures and successes, but it also can be formative in that it can form what is going to occur later. So evaluation is not just looking back at what mistakes you made, but it's also looking ahead and saying, based on some of those things we've done before and some of the things we've learned, how can we make this better in the future? So I wrote this book in kind of response to that. And so if you notice on the subtitle that, that 52 um, practices or exercises for evaluating weekly worship, that's one evaluation per week for a worship team or a worship leader. And it's not contingent on, on congregational size either. So a, a single staff church leader, if he's responsible or she's responsible for worship, could also uh, use this. And so it, it offers these weekly standalone foundational worship considerations to help you as a worship leader, individually or as a team, to ask worship questions uh, evaluatively rather than defensively. So you're not just responding to the the congregational critic, you're actually evaluating based on information that you have. And again, it's not dependent on church size or, or context. And so the, those 52 weekly evaluation considerations, uh, if, if, you're, if you had a how to use this book, I, I would encourage you to plan a weekly or bi-weekly evaluation meeting. It could be on Zoom or it could be live. Uh, it could be in, in your worship setting. It could be in a rehearsal. It, where you actually encourage your team or individuals who are responsible for that 
to read a chapter together, and each of the chapters are only three to five pages long, so we're not talking about a long, long chapter. Read that chapter together, and then I'll, I'll actually give you a, a couple of samples just briefly of what those chapters look like in just a second. But, um, and, and at the end of each of those chapters, there are then three to five questions that you ask of your worship team and your worship leadership based on what you read in each one of those chapters. So you could do that weekly or you could do it bi-weekly if you wanted to spread that out and take a couple of years, but there are 52 of those chapters. And at the end then, at the end of those chapters, there's also an appendices, which includes um, some other resources. There's actually a, a pretty lengthy worship evaluation questionnaire that I developed. There's a Lord's Supper or communion evaluation questionnaire about how you're doing, how you're gathering at the table. One of my favorite questionnaires in the back is a, a, a secret worshiper questionnaire. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And then there's some other tools back there, too. So if, if you look at the contents, there are 52 chapters. And, and I tried on the, the title of each of the chapters to make them pretty short, but, but also hopefully that they would pick somebody's interest. And so like chapter one, I'm not going to go through all the chapter titles, but I'll just share a few just to kind of get your interest and and then hopefully you can get the book and kind of understand what they are. But like the first chapter is creating worship tourists. Um, it, there's, there's one like uh, bandwagon effect or mindless worshipers or um, cause and effect or some of those titles. Uh, songs that preach. Um, conversational narcissists. Uh, so th there are 52 of these. Uh, one of those is farm team. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And another one, probably my favorite title, is Play the Ball Where the Monkey Drops It. And so I'll, I'll kind of explain what those are briefly here. So, so the farm team, just I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I, I do want to kind of give you just a snippet of what that chapter looks like in another chapter, and then read the questions at the end so you'll know how that kind of relates. And then each chapter has questions like that. So think about this on farm team. I'm a, I'm a huge baseball fan. I love baseball. I'm grieving that it hasn't started yet and hoping in July it's going to start. So I love baseball. In fact, behind me, you can see uh, that's uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Nolan Ryan striking out Ricky Henderson on his 5,000 strikeout. That's a signed uh, print from that. So that's kind of one of my treasures back there. But, but in Major League Baseball, they have what's called player development. And so if you're familiar with Major League Baseball, they've got this farm system where they develop these players and they, they encourage them to play in this, when they're not ready for the major leagues yet, they're, they're encouraged to play in this lower level, and they, they, they groom these younger players, less advanced players, in this minor league system uh, by allowing them to play at this level before they actually make it to the major leagues. And so the value of this, this worship player development, if we, if we applied that to our own congregation then, is that sometimes we have the, these players and singers that are that talent-wise and maturity level and spiritual depth, they're not really ready for the main worship service yet. And so we have to ask the, the, the question of our, of our worship uh, leading team, how are we, uh, what's our player development look like in our system? How are we raising up these leaders so that potentially they'll be able to play and sing and run tech, and potentially even lead in the future if we're not giving them an opportunity to do it in the present. I was challenged a, a number of years ago at a conference uh, where the conference leader said to us, 
uh, who has influenced, who are five or six people that have influenced your ministry? And so write those down. He encourages you to write those down. And, and then he, he followed up the question and said, have you told those people how much they meant to your ministry? And so I went back home after the conference and wrote notes to these five or six people. And one of those guys on the list was Paul Williams. And Paul Williams, my first full-time ministry after seminary in Arkansas, was in the same city where Paul Williams served. Paul was a local minister of music, and, and I was serving a church that I didn't know at the time that it had been kind of a troubled past, and, and Paul knew the history of the church even before I did. My first week or two in that church, Paul came by and visited with me and, and encouraged me and took me to lunch. In fact, he even said, he said, you know, next weekend I'm taking you. He didn't even ask. He said, I'm taking you to a worship conference with me. And so I went with Paul, and he, he invested in me, and he coached me, and he encouraged me, and he raised me up. And he knew before I did that I was going to have trouble in that church because of their history. And so when we did have that trouble, he never offered platitudes. He just he prayed with me and encouraged me and helped raise me up. I believe that if Paul Williams had invested in me then, I wouldn't still be in ministry now. And Paul died in, in 2010, but before he did that, he had... He would send me packets of music when I moved to another state because he was also an author and composer. You may have done some of his music. J. Paul Williams is how most of his music, most of his lyrics were, were written that way. And, and Paul would send me a, a, a packet of music with a funny note and a note of love to my wife and family because he'd adopted them too. And I believe that our success, though, in ministry is, is going to be not just be judged on how well we did it, but also how we invested in others to do it too. See, great worship leaders, we're not going to have great worship leaders in, in, the, in the future until we're willing to invest in not great worship leaders in the present. We've got to lift them up. And so how are we doing that? So that, that chapter then would end with some team discussion questions. And, and the questions would be like this, and you could apply them to your own system to see how are we doing in this area. So here's some, some of those questions. What system do we presently have in place to secure players and singers and tech substitutes when team members are absent? How are we encouraging younger artists to develop their skills for potential worship leadership in the future? And within the limitations of our budget and our leadership and, and the facilities that we have, how can we implement a formal or, or informal training process for younger worship leaders? And then the final question for that chapter is, what opportunities do we have or can we create for younger leaders to use their gifts publicly before they're ready to lead in the primary worship service. And so that's, that's just an example of a chapter. And then another quick chapter, I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but the play the ball where the monkey drops it. It's about resilience in worship leadership. Sometimes we as worship leaders are not real resilient. When things happen, we, we kind of get bent out. Of, we've practiced, we prepared, we get bent out of shape, we get angry. Uh, so when we face those difficulties in the middle of a service, sometimes our, our blood boils and we get upset. And sometimes, though, we need, to, we need to prepare with excellence, but we need to also be ready to have resilience when those things don't happen exactly the way that we hope they would. So why I use the illustration of play the, monkey, play the ball with the monkey drops it. When the, when the British colonized India in the 1800s, they also brought with them the game of golf. Now, you may have heard this story before, but after the first golf course was, was built uh, in, in Calcutta, uh, they didn't realize until after they'd built the golf course that, that monkeys that lined the golf course in the trees 
when when a, a golfer would would have a, a drive even in the middle of fairway or in the rough, the monkeys would run down out of the trees and grab the golf ball and pick it up and and move it someplace else on the course and drop it. So if you had a stellar drive in the middle of the fairway, it may end up in the rough. And, and golfers quickly learned that if if they wanted to play on this course, they couldn't always control the outcome of the game. And so what they end up doing with resilience the players and the officials on that course actually wrote into the rules of their golf course that, that whatever happens on the course, that you're supposed to play the ball where the monkey dropped it. That's resilience. So that, that chapter would follow up then with asking these questions. What's the difference between a culture of rigidness and one of resilience? And where does our team usually land? How do we encourage resilience without out sliding into the acceptance of mediocrity? And how is it possible to strive for excellence without, relieve, without leaving relationships in our wake? And the last question for that chapter is, in what ways can we involve the entire team in evaluating a healthy balance of expecting excellence, but also offering grace? That's an example of a couple of chapters. I just gave you kind of a snippet of that, just to kind of give you an idea. And then I wanna, I wanna end with this, uh, and then we'll see if you have some questions follow up. So th this, there's a secret worshiper questionnaire at the end. When I was a college student, I worked in a restaurant. It was a pretty high-end restaurant. And the owner of the restaurant, without our knowledge, uh, brought in a, a, like a secret shopper or a secret restaurant person that would come in. And that, that person, the, the, their purpose was to come in secretly and evaluate the food and evaluate the service without our knowledge that they were doing that. So I thought, why can't we do that in our own congregations? And so I developed this questionnaire where you enlist actually somebody from outside your congregation. It could be another worship pastor, or I would even recommend going to a Starbucks, somebody that you may not know whether they're a believer or not. And just for the price of a, a gift card to a restaurant, ask them to come in. And as they come in and visit your congregation, ask these questions of their visit there. And so I've got, you know, probably 50 questions that they would potentially ask about their visit. And some of those questions have to do with the, the worship service itself, but some of them have to do with what happens even before and after the service. So I'm not gonna read the whole list, just a couple of them to kind of uh, get your interest in that. So even questions like, was it easy to park in the parking lot and was it convenient? And, and how, do I, how did I know where to go once I left my car? And when was the first time I was greeted when I actually came into the building? And even simple questions like, um, did it seem like that the people were happy to be there that you came into contact with? And it, even questions like, um, if, if I had my children with me and left them in the children's area, did I feel comfortable based on what I saw there leaving my children? Or, or was the restroom clean? Now, we might think, what does that have to do with worship? Well, the last thing that many people, especially young parents, uh, do before they come in the worship center is leave their kids and if they don't feel like that their kids are safe when they come into the worship service, how do you expect them to be able to worship? Or if, if guests come in the first time and they go to the restroom and the restroom is filthy, wouldn't they then assume that this church doesn't really care that much about those other things? And we might think, well, they're not thinking about deep theological things. You're right. Many of those first time guests are not, but this is the, the way that we can actually potentially impact them. And then I do talk a lot about some of those other worship service elements too. So there, there's a lot of questions there. And so I would say this in closing. So my prayer for this book is that it might be a starting point for either you or your worship team or you and your pastor or you and your staff 
to, to develop a process, it doesn't matter how large or small your congregation is, to develop a process to, to evaluate um, your worship services each week, not just on logistics, but also on those deeper biblical and theological understanding, understandings of worship. And because I believe that when we actually do that, when, in, when an intentional and collaborative process of weekly worship evaluation is implemented, when we have that process in place, the reality is, is that we as leaders are, are no longer going to get all the credit when we have successes. But the good part about that is, is you're also not going to get all the credit when you have those worship service failures either. We need to do that. I think God has called us to evaluate our worship. Uh, well, for those of you who are watching, you, you can understand why I appreciate how practical David is. David, David is first and foremost a worship theologian, uh, but when it comes to taking our theology into practice, uh, I love to see what David's writing, what he's putting on his blog, what he's putting on Facebook, and so I'm thankful for uh, his influence uh, on me, his impact on me. Uh, his new book will come out September 15th. Uh, it's going to be released through Abingdon Press and will be available through m most places where you're able to, to buy books and want to encourage you to do that as a help to you and to your team. David, thanks again for being with us and we hope that you'll join us next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk, a weekly training resource for South Carolina Baptist worship, production, music, media, creative, and communications leaders. This South Carolina Baptist Convention resource is made possible through the cooperative program giving of South Carolina Baptist churches. For more information, visit scbaptist.org.